Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Nomad Outdoor. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and share our members' stories. Greetings and welcome back, everybody, for this new episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Nomad Outdoor. Coming to you guys from our podcast studios in the uppermost reaches of the United States, Polar North, New Hampshire. Not exactly that far north, but uh, <clears throat> we're getting to it. The seasons are changing. The leaves are starting to change up here. With that, I'm excited to bring to you this week the one and only Mark Drury of Drury Outdoors. We're going to get into uh, the fall seasons. We're going to talk about our upcoming conservation week. We're going to talk about 30-plus years of expertise and knowledge and wisdom in this outdoor space. We're going to do it in about an hour. <laughs> uh, it's a great conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. We're going to do all that, diving in with Mark Drury, 90 seconds. Let's go. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Signing up for that NWTF membership for the first time or renewing? The time is now, guys. We have three great offers for you. Currently, we are offering the Mossy Oak Bottomland Cooler, the NWTF Trunk Organizer. Recently, we are offering the Hat and Knife Combo. Head to our Facebook and Instagram. Check out those great offers. You can sign up through those links on those posts for the one, two, or three items you want. You can get them all if you'd like. If you're currently a member and it's not time to renew, go ahead and sign up and extend that membership. You can get the gift of your choice. Like I said, all three are a great option. They're fine pieces. Go to our socials now. Sign up. Renew. Extend. Thanks for your support. Have you been to shop.nwtf.org yet? If not, pause this podcast. Head there now. You're feeling inspired. You need a new hat, a new t-shirt. We got everything there. All the freshest gear for the NWTF member, the NWTF fan. We got a new collection of hats, folks. Go there. Check them out now. New men's and ladies' collections coming for the fall. That's shop.nwtf.org. Go there for all your lifestyle NWTF gear and more accessories, kids stuff. We got you covered going into the going into the holiday season. Shop.nwtf.org. Go there now. I'm gonna jump right into it because there's literally so much I can cover with you. And I want to be respectful of your time. So um, we are joined by Mark Drury uh, here on the podcast. Uh, we've been trying to hook up, I think, since the spring and, and one thing after another after another. But I feel like, you know, as we're recording this on September 1st, I think this is like a very apropos day. Uh, hunting seasons almost across the entire country are opening up in one shape or form or another. Small game, bear here in New Hampshire. The weather feels right. We got a west wind bringing in Canadian air. So I think this is like a great day to, to podcast with you. How you doing, Fred? Uh, I'm excited to be here and I'm glad to have you and I'm glad the internet is, is standing up. 
Amen. I'm excited as well. Um, I'm glad you have a west wind with Canadian air because I, I think my air is coming out of somewhere in South America. It's oh my gosh! Here in the Midwest, it's it's terrible. It's the summer that won't relent for most. It is. It's been a booger for us, man. We are so dry. It's as dry as I've seen it in over a decade. What does that was that translate for you guys as land managers? It must be just terrible right it, now. Yeah, it is. It's it's. Uh, a, the spring crops we put in didn't perform like we wanted. So therefore, you know, we, we always try to manage our deer herds and our farms for the long-term goal of herd health. Right. Um, I try to plant enough food that there's still food, you know, left come spring green up because spring green up cures all for the, the winter that has just passed for a whitetail. But I like to give them, you know, corn and beans and bulbs, whatever I can through the winter. Uh, so that they got a, a better chance because our winters get pretty brutal here in, in Iowa. So with the drought, I won't have the winter food that I plan on or, or expect. Um, on top of that, none of my clovers green right now. I've, I've got several clover fields that are just brown, uh, dirt for the most part, and none of our green fields that we plant have have done very well, and my acorn crop doesn't look very good. So mm. if you look across the board, these droughts are, are rough on wildlife. They're rough on turkeys. They're rough on deer. And and I'm not alone here in Iowa. There are many places in our country that are experiencing drought drought this summer. Um, and on top of that, I've started to hear a few reports of EHD. I know mm -hmm. there's some major EHD happening in Kentucky. I heard that. My buddy in Ohio said they have 13 different counties reporting EHD right now. And um, I've heard of six cases here in my two counties in Iowa in the last three or four days. So it's that time of the year and uh, the drought just makes everything worse you know yeah there's, there's nothing good about a drought no i mean we, we have it here <clears throat> extreme there's three levels of it uh, at least here locally in in new hampshire and we're like in the if level three is the worst we're there which is not yeah. great for my artesian well because i'm on my own <laughs> my own water supply so oh wow well then it's, it's bothering you too yeah and and you know same thing here like normally my driveway is covered um and red, red acorns, that's what we have here, red oaks and black oaks. I got nothing. I got maybe two that have dropped. Our beech nuts are not nowhere to be found. I did see, I was up north uh, this past week and saw a lot of mountain ash. So in the higher elevations, we have that, which is great bear forage and, and probably small critter, but does nothing for the deer as far, as far as I know. So it's, um, I don't know, like perhaps it's a strategy. Um, often, especially when it comes to the bear, like when you find that one beech nut tree that's producing that's the one to sit on because that's where, you know, the bear and deer eventually end up, but <clears throat> haven't been able to find any of them. So I don't know if there's one to be found like that. Yeah, it's the same with, with the deer and the turkeys. You know, they're all going for the water source, but that's where EHD occurs. Mm. You know, when everything's in the same place, you got a, a mega hatch of, of uh, the midge fly, the vector that carries the virus out of the exposed mud from the receding ponds and in the creeks and so on and so forth. So that's why EHD hits hits the bachelor buck group so so hard. Yeah, um, devastating stuff to be sure. And then I then I'm certainly no expert on it, so I won't wade into it. But I know CWD is still very prevalent on the it's, landscape. It's, oh, it's prevalent, and it, it's to me. And I did some research on this, like. When the Pacific is in an El Nino, it is, it is a much wetter pattern for most of the country, particularly the Midwest. And we typically do not see a, a lot of, of drought and, you know, the subsequent EHD. However, we've been in a La Nina now for the last two and a half years. It's, it's expected to change back to an El Nino uh, 
um, in early 23. I did some research and the worst outbreaks I've had um, have all been very strong La Nina's. Hmm. So I'm kind of putting two and two together and I'm like, yeah, the La Nina reduces the rainfall we get. And that's when you get the worst cases of of, uh, EHD and drought. Is that is that because the ground gets so so dry that that stuff is it's a it's it's an, an inhalant right like they they pull that up from the ground and it lives or the whatever no, it is that's like, i think i think you're probably referring to, to cwd ehd is epizootic that, that's what i meant the cwd is where i was going with that sorry yeah cwd is a whole different yeah. you know uh can of worms but ehd is ep- epizootic hemorrhagic disease and it's a disease that's carried or a virus that's carried by a midge from deer to deer uh, it often transfers uh, in different parts of the country via the cattle trade. Uh, so cattle often have the virus. It seldom is fatal for the cattle, but it is for the deer. So uh, that's mm. where it, that's where it comes from. And there's, there's some new strains with all of the warm weather and all of the southerly winds. There's some new strains that have come in from South America. And, and the people that I know that are, you know, on the science side of the whitetail say that uh, these strains are affecting deer herds like we've never seen. There used to be some immunity, particularly in the southeast part of the country. And even there, they're having some some die offs that they haven't seen in in decades. So it's, uh, it's not a great time for for the whitetail. No, it can be very devastating. Um, well, let's, let's hop into happier things, I suppose. Let's talk about something positive. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to first acknowledge, um, the longevity of of you, your brother and this multi-generational family business brand that is, that is, uh, has occurred is occurring right in front of our eyes. Three plus decades, uh, as I said, multi-generational now with, with your nephew, with your daughter involved as adults and, and, and taking on leadership roles in the organization. And, and with that tip of the cap, acknowledge that there may be a younger generation of people that haven't been exposed uh, to Drury Outdoors and the Drury. So um, for, for those folks that are hearing your voice, maybe for the first time, uh, you know, Briefly tell tell the audience uh, that 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 in, in a concise uh, message, thirty plus years, how you guys came to be, what what took it from a hobby to to uh, business venture to now it's just I mean I, some people would argue you guys would be up on the Mount Rushmore of the hunting space. Well, I don't know about that. You're putting us on the shelf now, Fred. Yeah. <laughs> We're be retired here, but yeah, thirty years and thirty seconds. Um, we started out back in 1989 and met some amazing people along the way, particularly our, our, our friends and brothers down there at, at Mossy Oak. I met Toxie that same year and he, along with Cuz and also Will Primos, they gave us some great guidance. And we started doing some uh, VHS tapes for the rental shelf back then that eventually evolved into the DVD business, which evolved into television, which has now evolved into, you know, all of the different social platforms, which has now evolved into our app called DeerCast. So we've had uh, a lot of different chapters within our business. And uh, we're very lucky and and blessed to be in an industry with people we love and people who have been so kind to us and helped Mm -hmm. us along the way. And uh, just uh, it's been a real blessed road we've been on. And it it doesn't go without saying, you know, you don't you're not here in this space 
for as long as you guys are without learning to adapt and overcome. And you kind of just hit on every single one of those points right up to deer cast, which um, we were allowed and, and had the pleasure of being involved, especially through the turkey season and, and seeing um, you know, the capabilities of that app, uh, which you guys, I remember when it first came out, I, I largely relied on it uh, for weather. And then um, I think, I think a lot of it was moon phase. I just, I based a lot of my sitting yeah. in New Hampshire around it and, and by golly, it was one of the most accurate things I've ever used. It's it's pretty spot on and it's it's been very widely uh, used. And of course, now we updated it or upgraded it this this season with all of our different mapping features. We now have wind direction with cones and turbulence across five days. You can plan out your hunts. We have rain stations in there to where you can place rain stations anywhere you want in the country. And it'll tell you how much rain you you're predicting over the next three days, how much you got, how much you got for the season. Hmm. I mean, that rain station is a game changer. So, you know, the original predictive model was all about predicting uh, whitetail movement based on 13 different variables. Uh, most of them were revolved around the weather. Some did not, but most many did. And uh, now we include how that weather affects you and your environment within mapping with wind and rain and plots and all of that different stuff. So we brought the two together and we're really, we stay, we mainly focused on the whitetail deer hunter. That's, that's our lane that we like to stay in. Uh, so we remain there and we try to give the whitetail hunter every tool they could need in one app, including a social media feed, which is what you were talking about. Yeah. And if posted, those were some of the best posts of the spring. I loved all that stuff. That's yeah. great. Awesome. Well, we're glad you enjoyed it. And we certainly appreciated the opportunity. And then it's, it's, that's a neat part of that, that you guys took and, and added that social aspect to it. And, and, God bless you for doing it because you kind of have this command and control and the ability to allow things to happen there where in, in main, um, main social media, I mean, Taylor knows all about it. Like we are a maligned group of people and the the powers that be, the gatekeepers are not very friendly to to our messaging, to our passions and to our lifestyle. So they, they're not. They're choking us down and out. That's <laughs> yeah. what they're trying to do. So everyone's welcome over at DeerCast and opinions are welcome. And hmm. the one thing that I, I find most enjoyable about the social feed within DeerCast, everybody's positive. There's a lot of people in there that absolutely are rooting for everyone else. And you don't see a lot of the negativity that you sometimes see in some of the other platforms. So hmm. I'm very proud of, of our you know DeerCast nation and all the hunters out there that portray such a positive um, you know, role models for a lot of the young kids that are in there looking at deer cast. So hmm. I love that aspect of it. The evolution of the space going from VHS to DVDs and outdoor channel and outdoor media, what that looks like reflect back on that. I mean, what I, you've, you've literally seen it all uh, to this point, as far as outdoor media, do you have a favorite time period in there? Was there a purity in the beginning with the, you know, 10 pound cameras or does technology just make things easier and just the accessibility and the instant information that's able to be shared so far and wide? You know, each chapter has its pros and cons. Um, VHS, when we first started, started was really a, a more rewarding time in terms of the body of work. In other words, we were so enthralled in what we were doing when we would finally get a VHS tape done and then sit back and view it. We'd have watch parties, you know, yeah. I remember those fondly because it, it meant so much to Terry and I to put our work out there and, and have people view it with us. Um, you know, we then went into television. All of a sudden the audience grew. Uh, when we went into DVDs, the audience grew. Um, so 
that was, I would say if there was a favored time, it was probably in the peak of television, like call it 2009 through 2018, 19, somewhere in there. Mm. Um, it was just, it was a wonderful time to be in the outdoor space. There was a lot of great content out there on the networks. And I always talk about this content funnel that, you know, back in the day, if you saw an article in Outdoor Life, it had been proposed, then written, then submitted, then vetted, then re-edited, and it went through a, a lot of different eyes. And the same for, for Turkey Call Magazine, right? And by the time it hit the eyeball of the viewer, it had been fully vetted. The information was accurate. It was generally in a, in a very positive light. And television was much the same to where there, there were, you know, red light, green lights on certain type of content. Sure. And we made sure across the network it was a real high quality product. And I think the slope that we're on now with social media Instead of a, a funnel, it's like a shotgun where there's so many different people doing so many different things yeah. without any vetting process whatsoever. I think that's a scary place to be for us as hunters because, you know, hunting is a very emotional sport. We are taking an, an animal's life at the end of the day. And when that is not done appropriately with the respect due to the animal, then uh, it's not a great example to show others that perhaps are not uh, hunting hunters. So to me, that's scary. And I see stuff every day on social media that is, is so, so frustrating. And I'm sure you see it too, Fred. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, that's a scary place. I, I think, um, you know, for myself personally, and I, I think in the, the community as a whole, I think, I think there's been a lot of good self-policing in the last probably year and a half. I mean, there's, there's definitely some examples out there. I've actually hit on some of those examples, um, in the past. And so folks definitely know my opinion, this audience, and it's good to hear your perspective and your opinion. And, and it's, a a veteran opinion and, and people should heed it and, and, and continue to self police on that because ultimately we control our own destiny on this. And we're, you know, I think the number still is under 7% total participation across the lower 48 in in the hunting sports. Um, that's not a huge leg to stand on. So we do ourselves a disservice when we misrepresent um, the true passion of the great majority of us, the license holders. <laughs> and the bulk of it is represented correctly. Mm -hmm. But it's those ones that get out of the gate that are that are misrepresented that go viral. And it really does stain what is otherwise an incredible community of, of people at this point. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't know a better overall group in our nation than those that are hunters and conservationists. Find a better group of people. Right. Um, you know, find someone that leads their life and leads in their community, leads in their churches. I mean, uh, we're, we're so blessed to be surrounded by the, in my opinion, the best group of people in our country. That's the quality of character is, is always, there's a, there is a unspoken standard and most of us fall within those standards and exceed them. So that's, I think that's why we gravitate towards each other. And then we're so passionate when it goes awry or, you know, the shotgun pattern, you're like, can we, can we please take care of our own here. But at this point, what I was starting to say, um, 
you know, these people, these professional agitators, if you will, I, I have to believe they're doing it on purpose at this point because they felt the black bass, uh, the back blast from the community. They're definitely getting it from uh, the folks that hate our guts. Uh, and then that that 80 percent we're always pining for. I mean, I can't imagine those people are taking a fond look at them either. So at this point, you're willfully ignorant or you're just you're doing stuff for clickbait and Either way, I'm, I'm not interested in you having you uh, as part of, of who we are because you are misrepresenting, but you somehow are the one getting all the attention. And that's backwards. Yeah, and I don't, I don't I don't what I notice are the ones that are, um, you know, I don't want to say willful, willfully ignorant, but certainly <laughs> you know, going down, you know, the wrong path. Like one of the things we always strive for as a network was to take good, clean, ethical shots. Right. You know, I always love Jackie Bushman's rule, make it happen on the first shot. And we, we pretty much prescribe to that as well. However, things go wrong, obviously in the wild, you know, and you, you have mistakes or the animal moves or you're going to mess up because of adrenaline, that type of stuff. But I see shot angles and shot situations taken on social media that I just, I just scratch my head over. And Oh, okay. They, they still got the animal. Great. But you may be capable of that 85 yard shot through the brush where you, you know, so you, they're trying to put a shock and awe out there. Look at me, look what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And I killed this animal. But what about the youngster that is aspiring to go do what you're doing and wants to go out West or wants to go hunt whitetails or whatever it is. And then they go, well, I've got to be able to make shots like that. Like, People are, are, you know, they look for examples in media. And when the example is bad, it creates a, a cascade of, of bad decision making in the future. Like, sure. you know, get that animal a certain distance at a certain body angle and you increase your overall recovery ratio. Um, but that's not always what you see. And I, I think of the the period I saw last fall of the, the two boys, I believe were in Pennsylvania, where they. They really, you know, beat the deer. Once they got to it, they were kicking it and throwing things at it. And that went crazy. I don't know if you saw that. I missed that one. I don't know how I did. I'm kind of glad I did. And they ended up getting charged um, in their state. But that type of shock and awe are the things that that I was referring to. Most most of it is great. You are correct. However, those bad, bad things do not help us whatsoever, especially when it's been uh, viewed millions of times. Yeah, that's a. That's a hard pass over here for sure. And it's not even you see that stuff with like, uh, you know, especially during the summertime. Right. Right now, I see a lot of guys surf fishing and pulling in sharks up and down the coast in the Gulf. And uh, as legal as it is, ethical as it is, and the shark goes back like people fishing lose their collective business over that. And I can't believe what you're doing to that shark. And yeah, yeah I mean, you just, right. you don't have to post everything. That should be the lesson I think by now. It, it should be. And it, unfortunately, again, it's that shock and all that yeah. gets out of the gate and goes, you know, with the algorithms and social media, right. like a good story on conservation is not going to perform. Right. You know, so <laughs> no, I know it. it's sad because all the work that we do collectively as a group, as hunters and conservationists, like that's not the story that's getting told. Whereas previously, if you opened outdoor life or Turkey call or any of the different, you know, popular magazines, mm-hmm. that's the stuff you were reading and right. being imprinted on. And that's the stuff we all gathered around and went and did. And, and, um, so to me, I don't think the results, um, 
from what's going on right now through social media will be known for quite a while. But I, I don't think the trend is is in the right direction. Hopefully we can self-police it yeah, and for uh, sure. get rid of some of the bad apples. But it, it is a bit concerning to me. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. And, and, and you know, if you're hearing this, I mean, you can what you can control is your own self. So be cognizant of that, especially, like I said, we sit here at the opening day of many seasons. So when you're going out there, just be be smart. I, you guys have covered this stuff in the past. I'm sure that people can scroll through DeerCast or scroll through uh, your social media and find out. Uh, here's a here's a smart way to present a, a picture after you recover. Like I know you guys have covered this because I've read your stuff. Um, sure. So that that content is available to you. And, and hell, just just Google it. <laughs> like they say, I mean, it's it stuff's all right there. You'll probably get 20 articles that'll pull up how to shoot in, in sunlight, you know, sunsetting or sun rising and, you know, your deer and how to clean that up. There's been so much done on the subject. Um, utilize it. <laughs> Put it to practice. It's there for a reason. And a lot Absolutely. of smart lines and, behind it. And uh, don't be afraid to sound off on stuff you see that you, no. you disagree with or dislike. You know, no. so this is a great segue uh, into, you know, introducing young people and, and, and then from your perspective because we've watched we've watched your your family grow uh, on the television and in and, and the stuff you guys have put out it's been wildly entertaining to see Taylor go from from a young girl to a married lady now out west running down mule deer with her husband that's that's awesome for her we surely miss her I know we wanted to have her here but um uh Chasing mule deer is far cooler than, than talking to the, the turkey podcast. So. Big time, big time. They're, they're, they're sitting right now within 75 yards of an absolute giant. And awesome. I keep, yeah, I keep going back to my phone to see um, where they're at. But, they, well, here's the picture. The, the buck is, is right there. Okay. Oh, my gosh. They, they put him to bed, and I'll show you the deer. Whether they kill him or not, I don't know. She sent him to me here earlier this morning. But I'll show you the deer that's bedded right there, and they're, they're not very far from him. So I'm uh, I'm living vicariously through Taylor at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here if I can uh, pause that. But you can see there. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there we're here doing the podcast, and they're they're there. So hopefully he gets up and and gives her a yeah. shot. They're not close enough for a shot right now, but the terrain didn't allow them to get any closer. So well, that's very cool. And there there it is that that instant information sharing right there. Who right there? You had yep. to wait eighteen months for that story to come out. You just you just got it here in real time. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So going back to that, you know, you you raise a daughter in this. It seems from the outside looking in like that was a very natural course for her. I wanted to ask you, pick your brain. You know, we constantly talk about, especially at the Federation, uh, R3 initiatives and bringing people into the space and getting new younger folks to, to replace the retiring hunter. Right. And and what that looks like. And we have all the socioeconomic numbers on that. We have the studies on that. We have the fact that if mom's involved, we know we can get most of the family involved. But, you know, what what were some challenges for you guys keeping your kids interested in, in it if you had to? And, and what are some of your recommendations um, for the first time hunter dad or mom that didn't have um, mentors and they fell in love with it and they want to get their kids into it? 
you know, for me, it was just simply involving her in every aspect of what we did. And that included the business side of things. Like from the time she was a little girl, like she heard every business call, every business conversation. And we went hunting every spare second we could. And um, I think we're all products of our own environment. Sure. And when you create an environment that is inclusive and fun and enjoyable and provides food um, and provides moments that you can't do or have anywhere else. How does someone not, you know, get attracted to that lifestyle? So it's really what you put in front of them from a very young age. And, you know, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to introduce Taylor to the outdoors and then to raise her in that outdoor lifestyle. And, and I'm certainly proud of, of the young lady she's become like the most some of the most popular things we do is her cooking series on wild game killing it in the kitchen like yeah anytime she posts one it gets out of the gate and goes big time so that to me as a dad is is a very proud moment to see her the the things she's accomplished in the kitchen like her and austin literally live off of wild game year round so it's pretty cool it's pretty cool for me to see that come to full circle and and she does a tremendous job for our company as does matt matt is our general manager taylor manages all of our social media pages and our social media team and uh, without those two drury outdoors would not be in existence to this Right now, I, I can honestly say that they've both been a huge part of our company for the last 20 or so years. And uh, it's in good hands. I know that. Yeah, it's um, like I, I don't want to keep over. I don't want to overstate it, but it's been pretty neat to watch that maturation come through and, and see where they've come along with this. And um, it's, it's great. You know, you wish everyone could experience that. It's, it's just not the reality of it for most people. But, you know, there's certainly. Um, expertise and life experience that people can draw on. And, you know, what's what's nice about technology and and I can speak to this personally is like you have so many mentors out there. If you go research it, you just may never meet that mentor. But like people can take something from your experience and raising your daughter in this and then your brother and Matt and then they can find something from someone else and then kind of make it their own. It's really an interesting time in humanity as far as information sharing goes. And, you know, it's not just um, a one or a two person message like you can grab a lot from a lot of people um, and that's exciting stuff because if you cherry pick all the good stuff you're going to have one heck of a product I think in the end for w- what you're doing Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com slash conservation. Signing up for that NWTF membership for the first time or renewing? The time is now, guys. We have three great offers for you. Currently, we are offering the Mossy Oak Bottomland Cooler, the NWTF Trunk Organizer, Recently, we are offering the hat and knife combo. Head to our Facebook and Instagram. Check out those great offers. You can sign up through those links on those posts for the one, two, or three items you want. You can get them all if you'd like. If you're currently a member and it's not time to renew, go ahead and sign up and extend that membership. You can get the gift of your choice. Like I said, all three are a great option. They're fine pieces. Go to our socials now. Sign up. Renew. Extend. Thanks for your support. Have you been to shop.nwtf.org yet? 
If not, pause this podcast, head there now. You're feeling inspired. You need a new hat, a new t-shirt. We got everything there, all the freshest gear for the NWTF member, the NWTF fan. We got a new collection of hats, folks. Go there, check them out now. New men's and ladies' collections coming for the fall. That's shop.nwtf.org. Go there for all your lifestyle NWTF gear and more accessories, kids stuff. We got you covered going into the going into the holiday season. Shop.nwtf.org. Go there now. I think that's very well stated, and I, I agree with that. That's that's. Uh, it's, it's nice to see the, the fun stuff out there on social media and the beautiful stuff. However, you can't get caught up on it and spend all your time, uh, you know, on the voyeur side of it. You got to get out there and do it as well. So that was my point. You know, I just included Taylor and in everything that we could, whether it was a, a weekend getaway while she was off school or shooting her bow or shooting guns and everything I, that we could outdoors. We, we did it together. You can lose a lot of time on TikTok. I, I will uh, uh, not happily admit that, but it's part of my business. <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, sure. the, the hands of the clock have moved in a, in a fast pace. And I don't know what's happened. But um. <laughs> especially especially when you get your uh, weekly screen time update, like how much you average per day. I don't never, know if your phone does that. I've never does. looked at it. I don't want to know at this point. You should you should look at it just as a, your own, you know, checks and balances. It's uh for me, like your daughter, I mean, I, for managing social for, for NWTF, I think mine would be uh, skewed a bit just because it's constantly being worked on. Um, Certainly. Yeah. But, you know, make time for that, that gym time, that outdoor time and be purposeful in that. And then that end day uh, reading of, of text, I think that for me and I think for a lot of people, it's important to have those separations. So um, self-help stuff. I, I like yeah. I geek out on that stuff. So, yeah, um, big time. I just I was going somewhere, Mark, and I just lost it. So I'm going to jump into uh, we have conservation week coming up the third week of September for the, the Federation, which culminates uh, with National Hunt Fish Day that Mossy Oak is going to be celebrating. I know you guys uh, celebrate right along with us. Um, Absolutely. Anything you guys are, are doing specifically uh, outside of the norm or, you know, recommendations, messaging you would you would put out to the fan base and then to this audience, you know, how you can be involved. Uh, simple, simple measures, just being active. Absolutely. I think conservation's all comes down to participation and, and overall good examples. Like, you know, one of the things I like to do each year on my farm is focus on noxious weeds. Like they're a pain in the butt, thistles, and they're, they, you drive by them daily. And if you don't get out and cut them, they're going to do nothing but get bigger and, and spread the seeds. And then it's worse the next year. So even little things like that are fixing erosion. That's another pet peeve of mine. Uh, anything you can do to give back and try to leave something much better than you found it, uh, I think really helps. I, I think from a turkey hunter's perspective, the thing people, the things people can do really is, is, you know, not just a day or a week or anything else. It's really trying to do everything you can to help our populations, especially where they're struggling, whether that be habitat improvement, whether that be predation control, informing other landowners about possible different hunting tactics, not taking, you know, that, that gobbler that's got all the hens with him, all the different things we can do to try and help the birds out because they're certainly at a point in our history where they, they need some help right now. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you heard any of our symposium coverage or saw any of the research that came out of 
uh, Asheville, North Carolina. In June. I have seen some. Oh yes. my gosh! I mean, it was my mind was blown on so many levels. Um, but what you just said with you know being cognizant of the one gobbler with all the hens and. Um, I keep hearkening back to it because I find it uh, invaluable information that, that, that I learned. I didn't. And I think it's all new information is that, you know, these hens, it's it, the fact that any turkeys live uh, to see adulthood is a miracle. I, Everyone's a walking miracle. It's, I've said it for a long time. So what they started talking about in some of the research that um, you have a dominant tom that does the bulk of the breeding. Correct. I don't know how you identify that dominant Tom, especially when, you know, if you're not out there every day observing it. But so you have one Tom that's doing it. And then conversely, there's one hen that's pretty much doing all the turkey recruitment, which I had no idea. I thought the Toms were out there, that the mature, sexually mature Toms were out there breeding um, whenever they can hook up with a hen. They were going to make poults and, you know, nature was going to run right. its course. Right. I had no idea. That in that study area, you know, the one hen was holding it down for the whole population. Oh, my gosh. And if you're looking statistically, I think the success right now is 1.8 poults recruited in a season. That's not even two full birds. I mean, everything stacked against them. I, c I could remember when that number was in the threes and fours, probably 15 years ago in, in Missouri. Mm -hmm. I, I would always pay attention to the, to the poult um, counts. And I, but I think the good thing about this, all of the research is leading us down some paths for some potential solutions. You know, um, it, to me, the identification of that breeding Tom is the one that's got all the hens with him, especially if you if your season opens early enough. One way to um, make sure that you're not harvesting that bird is to perhaps take some seasons and instead of opening them in early April, push that back to mid-April or here in the Midwest, instead of opening in mid-April, push it back just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or if the state still opens and it doesn't mean you have to go out and kill one at the front end of the season, wait till the tail end of the season. Uh, we had a podcast with Dr. Chamberlain about four years ago within DeerCast, and he was already talking this stuff then. Mm -hmm. And we changed the way we hunted right then and there. We've increased predator control. We've increased habitat. We've increased food plots favorable to turkeys. And we have laid off of, by our perception, the toms and the groups that were doing the bulk of the breeding. And we've hunted later in the season on those areas. Hmm. And I'm, I've got to tell you, it has made a drastic difference in our hatches. I've had three good hatches in a row. We're, we had another one this spring. And I'm, I'm sold on that that four or five pronged approach, I think we can solve what's going on out there. But a big part of it is that ground, that nest predation control. We got to control the, all the nest predators. If you don't put that part of it in it, the rest of it really doesn't make a difference. I think that's the biggest problem. Me personally. Yeah. yeah. It's certainly a, a piece of that puzzle. I know cause you know, last year, I think he had Alan Probst down to his property. Him and his grandkids went out and set some dog proofs and they had a hell of a time trapping raccoons. Um, but then they made a, an honest effort at it. And he noticed attributed to that that that, that predation uh, management. So, I mean, there's certainly something to it. Right. Um, oh, and just no one huge. traps anymore. It's it, huge. It just no yeah. one's no one's doing it. I think. You know, if I, if I could, I'll tell you what, those dog proofs, I think, are fantastic. Um, they're easy to access. They're easy to set. They're easy for an eight year old, nine year old boy or girl to go out. And they're fun as heck. They're easy to bait. I think if if 
if we were serious about what well, we are serious, I'm not going to say it that way. If we had a way to like sponsor or or give a scholarship for a half a dozen dog proofs uh, for every little boy and girl that had an interest, I would love to find a way to fund that and be that a mechanism so they can get out there and create a new generation of Travers. Now, again, I'm going to say it. The audience knows how. I feel on this. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the end all be all. We can't control the weather. We can't control avian uh, predators. So those are two variables we have no control over at this point. Um, but we we can trap and we can encourage trapping and we can encourage young people to go out there and, and find the fun and the value. It's Christmas morning every day. Every it day is, you run man. your line. It is so much fun. Yeah. It is. It is an enjoyable. But to me, I still think it's the biggest problem. Yeah. You talk to Toxy. You talk to Cuz, talk to Harold Knight, talk to Rob Keck. Man, there's some people that are in the know and have been doing yeah. this for many, many years. And they all agree with that exact same sentiment. Well, it's it's the nest predation. That's it, the big it, difference. And there was um, um, Mr. Uh, Backner was talking to me about fire control. He's a doctorate student uh, that's working for Brett Collier. I'm uh, working towards his his doctorate and he was talking about you know, when we looked at fire and, you know, why people get uh, upset about fire. And he was explaining to me again, I'm just I'm just a turkey hunter. I know I, I, it's hard to delve into or know even to start where to delve into this research until you start talking to these people. And then you're then you get motivated by information. And so I was learning that, you know, some of these lands that you look at, these plots of property that you think would be great, no longer serve a purpose for for. Uh, for brood rearing. Now I would look at it and say, well, there's green grass. There's, this has got to be great, but no, that's the exact opposite. Like they have to go in and bring this stuff down so that it can encourage the, the growth that is needed to have the insects there so that these little pulse can get in there and, and do their thing. And it's just, it's that that's another piece. I think we need to, along with the predation management is, is, you know, even if you have a humble, two to five acres, you have the ability to do this on your own land. If you notice you have this, like you said, the thistle or you have this junk stuff growing up and it's a couple years into it, go out there with a weed whacker or a brush hog or, or a, a hand machete and just cut this stuff back. And, you know, you at the Federation, we have lots of resources for this and, and can connect you with people that are in the know and tell you they can come out and evaluate your property and tell you what you can do to help. Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many things we can do. That's why I was talking about habitat improvement. Yeah. You know, and food sources that are attractive to turkeys. And, and you know, that, so those are the things we can control. Habitat improvement, food sources, nest predators, and your overall hunting, your trigger finger management. Yeah. We can control those. And if everybody did it collectively, man, would we see a difference? In my opinion, I think it would it would correct the, the flow. Right now, our population is declining in many places. I think you'd see that happen really quickly. Yeah. Do you think that... Um We've we've been to the the top of the mountain. You know, we lived through the golden age of of turkey hunting, as it were. Um, and maybe that we are somewhat on a decline because just there was an overpopulation because we did such a good job in our reintroduction of the bird and, and so many of its nat uh, native areas and some not native areas. And the bird just took and all of a sudden you just had like this land of milk and honey as it as it pertained to the wild turkey saw a peak. The landscape is 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 balancing some of that out. I, I feel all of it. What we're talking about is playing into all this. I think it is. I think we're somewhere in. You know, we saw that incline through population dynamics. Anytime yeah. you have a, a young population, 
they're always much more eager and, and to uh, continue to populate, right? And you get that upward growth curve, and now all of a sudden we've hit the peak, and we're certainly yeah. on a downward trend. There yeah. is no question we are on a downward trend. But we as hunters and conservationists can turn that around and turn it back going the other yeah, way. It's, it's not all doom and gloom, and, and coming out of Asheville, um, that was a, a big point to make was, yeah, we, we stuff's being said, stuff's being acknowledged finally. And we're, we're, we're addressing it, but it's not Armageddon for the turkeys. Like, no, there, there is, like you said, we have a hand in this and uh, conservation week's a great week to plug it again, uh, to get involved and go out there and do that. It's never too early to start that, that land management or go to your, uh, your local trappers catalog or your outfitter, if whatever you have and, and, Go do exactly what we said, buy a half a dozen coon cuffs and trap trap raccoons for the first time in your life and then see what that's about. Yeah, that the problem is not the solutions because we're laying some out here within this podcast. The the difficulty is getting those solutions into everybody's eyes and ears and hands, right? Like the people listening to this podcast are the ones that are passionate enough, they're going to go out and make a change. It's the other 90% that are less Mm. passionate that buy a turkey tag, hunt three or four days a year, and then they're done until next year that aren't going to go out and and do these types of steps. So uh, I hope that the uh, different DNRs and conservation agencies can help lead this charge and can help with the communication about the things that can can change things around. That's the thing that I, I see lacking. Like, and I'm not, I'm hearing it from the private sector. I'm not hearing it from the public sector mm. in terms of here's what we got to do. I don't, I don't know if you're seeing the same. I know in the Southeast, some of those uh, departments are doing that. I haven't seen it as much as widespread as the decline has been. I've not seen the response be as widespread. I, I, I feel from my observations and the conversations I've had, especially this this program, is that the areas like you just said that have been identified as the hardest hit in the southeast and, and areas just south of you, they're they're making changes. They're being very aggressive towards it. Now areas like but, where I but, but it's rather reactive. Oh completely, I mean? completely right. So I brought up the point I, I think to, to Dr. Collier about this very thing. I said, you know, here in New England, I suspect we're a decade, decade and a half behind the times when it comes to to Turkey everything, right? Um okay. We are still very new kids on the block to turkey hunting and it being part of a culture. It's big woods bucks up here. Um that's been the culture up here for for probably a century or more. Um, but folks up here are seeing the value of it. So our populations are are healthy. The, the landscape is healthy. There's so much opportunity. So I said, you know, we would be um, very wise to see what's happening in the Gulf state regions and, and areas over by you and, and get ahead of this so that we're not going to meet this in 10 years because eventually this stuff's going to come around. It's going to catch up with us. We're, we're not, we're not just great at it because we're great at it. It's, it took longer for turkeys to get established up here. You guys all had them way before us. So this stuff will catch up with us if we're not learning the lessons of, of the here and now. I think that's very wise. That's very wise. But I think in general, 
that's the way it's human nature, right? We're reactive as sure. opposed to proactive. So hopefully you will see a proactive stance up there and, and not make the mistakes. Some of the other. And, and in the West know, too, where they, you know, where they're not native, you have these beautiful Miriam's turkeys running around the, the Rockies and better parts of Montana and Idaho. And I don't want to see those birds go away. So, you know, that, that's completely new to that part of the country. And I, and I hope that they appreciate and recognize what they have. There's no doubt, but even there, there's there's places out there. You take yeah. Western Kansas, very little pressure, and I mean, there's places out there that used to have four or five hundred in a winter flock, and they're mm-hmm. down to almost none. I mean, it, it's it's incredible how how quickly it has happened. It's happened over the last 10, 12 years, best I can tell. What would specifically uh, the last last five to ten? If 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 tomorrow they 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 knighted Mark Drury and said you're you're leading the charge, what would what would be a couple of your top recommendations, if, if you don't mind answering that way? Well, if you had a chance to get in front of all 50 states, agencies and their directors said, here's exactly what I think you should be doing. Top two or three. I, I think some of the things I already mentioned, number one, I would put the season date back hmm. and make sure that it, it occurred or coincided with the end of the, the mating cycle. In other words, here in the Midwest, I don't think in northern Missouri or southern Iowa, where I do the bulk of my hunting, I would open it until the month of May was in, you know, maybe like first through the 5th of May, somewhere in there, as opposed to early April for Iowa, mid-April for Missouri, I would wait much later. If I had the budget, I'd figure out a way to uh, incentivize our hunters and conservationists to control the coon population. I don't know what that plan would look like, but I would in some way try to fund and figure out how to increase trapping Hmm. uh, on a broad scale. Um, No doubt about it. And I would try to educate everyone as to the importance of what birds you're actually targeting. Is there a difference between that breeding Tom and those four two-year-olds running around? Um, I would also try to eliminate the jake harvest in certain areas where the population's way down. Not for beginning hunters or young youngsters, certainly, uh, but for the overall population. If we want it to grow, you got to let them get past that that uh, jake stage. Those are some of the things that I would do. I'd also have programs for seeds and habitat improvement, conservation comes through growing and managing the overall habitat. If you can educate people, make it fun and incentivize them in some way, shape or form. I think if you did all of that across the board, we would see a turnaround in this very quickly. I think that I keep coming back to the trapping thing because I, I, I love trapping. I'm very passionate about it. And I think it's a, a fantastic management tool. I, I personally think the way you, you get to people is, it's like almost hitting their wallet. You know, people are motivated by money. So how can you how can you message or communicate to a lady walking her Yorkshire Terrier down the street that it's important to make sure those coons aren't in her neighborhood or, you know, whatever? I, I think you got to find a way to play into those different sensibilities because some people just don't care about turkeys. Like I, I see them. And a matter of fact, oh, yeah. in the suburban environment, they're they're a nuisance. Like come kill them all. Well, we can't kill them all. And if we relocate them, they're going to do the same thing. And where we relocate them that they're doing now, because that's what those birds are programmed to do. It doesn't we can't move them now. They just are what they are. Um, so I, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. And I think when it comes to trapping, you gotta, there's gotta be some way to play to folks sensibilities to have them I'm not asking them to go out and do it on our behalf and like fly the trapper flag. But 
at some point we got to get past this humane society meme of the trapper and the fud going out there with jagged jaws and feetless animals because this stuff does not occur um and and we haven't necessarily done a great uh communications campaign on that and every time we start one we get shouted down by that 10 percent that that hates us i think we get scared of our own shadow as a community and just would choose discretion over valor maybe isn't the time to stand up is now it it certainly is without question yeah without question it seems like you took a very white tail management approach i noticed in there um do you see correlations there i i I, you know, I hear people put uh, antler restrictions on deer and recommend that for getting a better herd and the propagations of the species. Is there a correlation there almost? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, mm. I, I, I'm basically uh, advocating the things that we've done that are working yeah, for us. Cool. Like I said, I'm, right now, Fred, I have more turkeys on my Iowa farms than I've had any time since I've been here in 1997. Like we have, we have absolutely turned it around here. Um, so I, I think it can work. And I, I did all of this based on our podcast with Dr. Chamberlain. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that he taught us and then other things I've taken from other, other things that I've learned, you know, that we weren't, we weren't doing a good job with our predators. We've always been decent when it comes to habitat and food, but I've changed some of those food sources. I have clover and alfalfa literally everywhere throughout all farms, postage stamps. There's there's green food source out there for the turkeys. We're burning on a regular basis, to your point. Uh, so we're doing everything we possibly can, and we have changed the way we hunt. Uh, add that to predators. So there's really about four things we've done differently and we've seen fantastic hatches. That's awesome. So I'm just trying to spread that word. And I think if you could do it on a, a large scale across the country, we'd, we'd turn it around. And that's in four years, right? You said that conversation happened four years ago. So yeah, four about years. Four, last four years we've changed. Yep, we sure have. Four years goes by like that. Yeah, it, it goes by very yeah, quickly. So with, yeah, so to the point is, you know, in this, in this 24-7 on-demand lifestyle most of us live, like, four years can catch up on you pretty quick. So if you're consistent with this stuff and you make a commitment, I mean, right there is a case study on the Drury farm that it, it can be done. Yeah. And it's not a farm. It's a variety of different smaller farms. I don't, I don't have one large farm anymore. I've got, I've got an 80 here and a 160 there and a 40 there, you know, I, I kind of do a satellite approach, but the word is also getting out and it's resonating with neighbors. We're making sure we educate the people that have given us permission. And uh, we have a lot of different places we turkey on strictly on permission or a, a per bird lease, that type of stuff. That's the other thing we've done is we have reduced overall harvest by spreading out the pressure. Um, we no longer hunt a farm. We hunt a mm. variety of different farms and we're very cautious about what we will harvest in any given population. So if we're sitting there of a morning and we're used to historically and we keep data across the seasons, how many birds we hear, how many long beards we see how many jakes we see and then we watch that line through time and then we make harvest decisions based on our historical flow if we're in an upward trend on population both for jakes and longbeards we're going to be a little more aggressive in our harvest if we're in a downward trend we may be very limited in harvest perhaps none at all and that has also helped great a great deal in that we've spread out our overall harvest and not pressured certain farms too much that's fantastic that's a lot of work i mean that's a lot well, of work. It is, but it's also enjoyable. Right? Sure. Like, you know, that's the um, 
that's what we're supposed to do as, as conservationists, in my opinion, is yeah. try and leave it better than you found it. And I'm more worried about the next generation than I am today. You know, you got to think 10, 20 years from now and not 10, 20 minutes from now. Well, it serves as a, you just, it serves as a, a fantastic example that this, this work can be done. It doesn't have to be done by the state agency professionals. It doesn't have to be done by biologists. You can do this on your own. You can take notes. Um, you can take notes on your phone, on a pad, whatever you're doing and, and, and chronicle this stuff and then start building what you've done. And, and again, it's only four years. It's amazing. Something you hit on that is a there's a groundswell for it. And maybe I'm new, new to the idea, but it seems like it's becoming I'm hearing it more and more is this cooperation between landowners where maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was this constant um, competition between landowners, whether it was for deer, whatever the game of pursuit was at the time of the year, but no one wanted to work together. No one wanted to have these conversations. But now people are recognizing if we're doing management on our large tracks and you have a large track, well, now we just increased our footprint for quality habitat restoration and improvement. And you get your other joining a butter uh, landowner to sign on. Like all of a sudden it's like rabbits and you start, you start spreading out. I think it's a neat trend. I'm hoping this is catching on. To me, to me, it has that. I, I agree with everything you just said. It has changed drastically over the last 15 years. Like I can't think of a single neighbor that I have right now. That is a, Oh, it's that neighbor. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I get along with all my neighbors and we talk and we talk about conservation. We talk about, you know, the future. We talk about herd management, Turkey management, um, habitat, quality. Um, so it, it's really part of an evolution of society and the information age and the things that come out that we did not know 15 years ago. Now we do, thanks to organizations like the NWTF and all the different conservation uh, organizations out there. Well, think about it, Fred. What was out there in terms of information on conservation 20 years ago? Right. Now look at what's there. Thanks to organizations like the NWTF, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool to learn that stuff. And then when you apply it and see the results, man, the rewards are just they're a hundredfold over the effort that it takes to do it. Like it, the, the response is great by the wildlife populations. It's yeah. it's pretty easy to do and um, it's fun. Yeah, for sure. And when you start seeing it's like it's like it's like bodybuilding. You get out there and you start lifting weights. You don't see it right away. But all of a sudden you start seeing results and it's like, oh, I can I can do this every day now because you've been incentivized by literally what's in front of your eyes. And you start seeing more turkeys, more deer, more quality deer, whatever that is for you. Um, that would motivate a person pretty quick and make it a heck of a lot easier to get up before your regular job and, and put that effort in or stay out later um, and, and lose some sleep. But it's. Once it's, a, it's once like, a, go ahead. It's like anything in life. The 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 hardest part is just getting started, right? right? Just go do it. You know, just start. You know, jump in. I don't care what it is. You know, go build a water hole. Go trap a coon. Whatever it is, mm. just go do something, and the rewards themselves will motivate the the process. You know, like 100%. it's it's so cool. Put a trail camera up. Put a put a dang bait pile out or a, a feed pile of something nutritious and put a camera over. Oh, 
You know, you get immediate gratification, especially if it's a cell camera. Sure. Build a water hole. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, put a food plot in. Oh, wow. Look at the results. You do a, do a controlled burn. Oh, my goodness. Look at the results. Like, I love cell cams because they tell you what's going on out there. Like, you don't miss much with those. No, you certainly don't. They're they're instantaneous for sure. Um, running low on time. So uh, I do want to talk about deer hunting and, and deer management with you. Cause I have you, I know this is the NWTF podcast, but we're going into deer season and I would be remiss if I didn't ask a jury about uh, their deer management and what's, what's in store for you for this season. I, I got to imagine, I've seen some of the stuff you've shared you got some, uh, some, some deer you're, you're especially excited about. And certainly, um, you know, each season for us is, is, uh, a blessing that it occurs, but it's also a curse in that it starts September 1st and Taylor's out there hunting. Wade and Jared are up hunting in Alberta right now. And it goes all the way till January the 15th mm. for us here in the Midwest. So it's a very long four and a half months and we go every day and there's very few days. It's not 13 to 15, 16 hours a day. Like they're very long days, seven days a week. You take off for Thanksgiving, you take off for Christmas, but it is an absolute grind. I love every second of it, man. I, I just absolutely love it. But it is. <laughs> you have people in their car hearing this right now going, and what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> go they, do it. They should, tr- they should try it yeah, seven yeah, days a week right. four and a that's half right. months because too much of any one thing is too that's much. Right. I don't burn out on it because yeah. I'm in infatuated with white-tailed deer. I'm infatuated with wild turkeys. Like they consume my every single thought, every second of the day, even in the off season, but it does get a little cumbersome for some, you know? So it's, like I said, it's a blessing and a curse, but we're going to go into it with, uh, you know, smiles on our faces and do everything we can to, to lay down a great season and, uh, you know, leave the habitat better than we found it. Try to harvest mature deer, try to take the correct amount of amount of does. Um, we work with a lot of different, um, churches and different organizations on, on meat drives every single year. That's always very rewarding this year. Um, we're working again with our friends at catch a dream. I have a, um, a youngster coming in in late September here. He'll be the first one hunting on the Iowa farm. So I'm excited to host him and get to know his family and, uh, just lots going on. And of course we'll, we'll target some big deer if they're still around. If PhD and the drought hasn't taken them yet. Oh man. What, um, when you're putting those hours in any, uh, what are, what are some steps you take to stay healthy? Because, you know, grinding it out for as long as you do for as many days, doesn't leave much time for anything else, especially when you're having to sit still for so long. Right. I mean, it doesn't leave much time to get up and stretch or do jumping jacks or, you know, the, the, the space has become very fitness uh, conscientious and people taking responsibility for their health. I mean, let's face it. I mean, this is, this is a liability when you go out in the field, if you can't walk 300 yards or you can't drag a deer without worrying about, you know, your ticker given out on you, these are important considerations. So, you know, you got any, anything you do in particular that the audience would be interested to know? Not in particular. I mean, you know, there's a, People go to the gym to work out. Now, our workout is always outside and it's on the yeah. farms. There's always something to do that that requires physical activity. So we're very active both during the season and, and out of the season. Uh, the difficulty for us is oftentimes trying to get enough sleep. 
Hmm. and recharge that battery. We're often, there's a lot of late nights, especially if there's a track job involved and, and then all of the things that occur after the animals down. Um, so, you know, we just do the best we can while we do it. We recharge the battery when we can and, and we try to keep a positive mental attitude more than anything else. We just have a lot of fun. That's the thing that is so enjoyable for me. The fall is a blast. The spring is a blast. The work really occurs during the summer and the winter when we're doing all the projects, the fun occurs when we're out there, you know, going through the chase and trying to get a, you know, a certain target in front of a certain hunter. And that's, that's a blast for us. So we, we enjoy it. And our whole group are very like-minded people. We're all very positive. We're all type A people for the most part. And everybody's out there trying to have a good time. I mean, we just, we have more laughs than the law should allow. So <laughs> That's good. I, I go to sleep at night and I can't wait to wake up the next day and yeah. do it all again. I mean, it's, it's a blast. That's good. Um, we're going into our 50th year, we're going to our 48th convention and sports show in Nashville. Awesome. We, we see you guys there. Uh, absolutely. Awesome. Certainly. Yeah. I can always I, count on you guys. I've missed very few since 1989, maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I go every year. I love it. It's one of my favorite events of the year. Yeah. Absolutely love it. No doubt. And it's certainly a, a big uh, send off, kick off, get ready for turkey season because very soon after things start opening. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a hell, heck of a show in Nashville 2023. So we'll we'll look forward to seeing you in there. Mark, uh, thanks for carving out the time. And I know it was a, a quick schedule here, but um. And, and, and thank you for, for your years of advocacy and passion and, and what you and your family do to present that image, to tell that story uh, of our community and who we are as conservationists, who we are as, as hunter gatherers and and family folks that just that love our communities, love the land, love to take care of it and put back more to, into it than we take from it. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Fred. Hey, one last question. Yes, sir. So I'm a huge Cardinals fan. And do you know where I'm going with this? I know exactly where you're going with it. Go ahead for the for the for the audience. They they may not know. For the 800 pound gorilla in the room, Fred's name is Fred Bird. Well, the team mascot for for the Cardinals is Fred Bird. So what any Fred Bird the Red Bird. I will tell you when when everyone for a minute, hot minute, there was Google yourself, see what comes up, man. It was never fun for me because it was always this damn bird. I was like, I'm never going to find I got to go through 15 pages to find some Internet hit of me before. And it's all St. Louis. So funny enough, uh, I joined a men's uh, Sunday baseball league, an old man league. Nice. And I, and I played for the Cardinals. And I text a few people I know from out your way. I said, hey, in this in this perfect. Look at me. Fred Bird, the Red Bird. That is awesome, man. Yeah. I, I told Tracy at lunch earlier, I said, I go, I'm, I'm going on a podcast with a gentleman by the name of Fred. And she kind of stared at me. And I said, his last name is Bird. And she goes, oh, my God, Fred Bird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because correctly pronounced, you would be Fred Bird. But the mascot is Fred Bird. right? That's so. his full name. That, yeah, that's that's the, it just cool one. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly right. And my but, my adopted uh, National League team, I suppose. Red Red Sox always have it here, though. So. Oh, the Red Sox. <laughs> I still have nightmares over 04. I believe you do. <laughs> I'm Big no Poppy. Doubt. Big Poppy. That's right. Just killed us. I think he batted like 700 in that series. It was an amazing series. He's a, it was an amazing he's series a for him. once in a lifetime player there for sure. So. 
He is. He's like Pujols. They're generational yeah. players. Yeah, no kind doubt. Of, kind of fun to watch. We've had some great ones over the over the years. You guys had better. Chris Carpenter. He's a New Hampshire kid. He's a few years older than me, but he grew up just down not too far from me here in uh, southern New Hampshire. Such a nice guy, too. I got to meet Chris multiple times because I was buds with Matheny and Mabry, and they were on those same teams. So nice. I got to meet him, and he was uh, always just a, a gentleman, really a nice guy. I don't know if I have this right, so I want to be cautious saying it, but I'm going to throw it out there. I think he's a hunter, too. Am I wrong on that? He, d- he does. Yeah. So, yeah, we would talk guns and bows and that type of yeah. stuff, but he was he was always great to visit with. Always love finding that out. It's like, oh, there's another level of coolness to you. You're, you're one of us. That's good to know. There's a lot of those baseball players that are yeah. outdoors, guys. I mean, they have the time to do it because they're off in the fall. Yep. So um, it was interesting. Our buddy Jim Tomey, you know, he played baseball his whole life and went on to, you know, uh, on to the uh, Hall of Fame, hit 612 home runs. And Terry and I got to take him the first time he ever went turkey hunting after he retired. No kidding. From from baseball. He had never gone. He had never heard it, never seen it, never experienced it. So he's he's now hooked and enjoys it. There you go. Love hearing that stuff. That's great. Never yep. too old to uh, to get to the gateway drug that is turkey hunting. <laughs> That's the Amen, best one. Brother. Amen. Thank you so much, sir, for your time. We'll look forward to seeing you uh, in February. Have a blessed and safe season. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk before February. I appreciate it, Fred. What a pleasure. Thank right. you. Thanks, sir. Thanks once again to Mark Drury for his time, uh, sharing his thoughts, his ideas, his wisdom. Again, 30 plus years of, of, of know-how and knowledge, man. And that's, you know, I wish we had more time. We'll definitely do it again. Uh, we've got Taylor to get on the show. I know she wanted to be here, uh, but, you know, as you heard, she had a, a way cooler opportunity than talking to me. <laughs> um, I have to get the epilogue. We all need to know uh, what happened with that, that mule deer. Um, now that's so much, that's so fun about, about social and, and, and the technology. And we talked about that, that, that instant information sharing and storytelling. I mean, we we're literally, as we're recording that, you know, what she's doing out, out West, we got to be a part of that in some very small way. Um, but again, we got Matt and Terry and Taylor to get back on convention coming up. They'll be in the house. So, you know, you guys will hear from them coming up there. And it'll be a great time, too, because obviously, you know, after convention, we're all thinking about turkey season. And what a great time to have those folks on uh, talking turkey. Uh, so I definitely look forward to that. Um, and then just what a great exchange of ideas. And I love robust conversation where we can kick things around, um, things I haven't thought of, things, you know, the guest hasn't thought of. And then, you know, we work together. And that's that's what's great about our community is in large part we all – can come to some semblance of of agreement or a direction agree upon a direction and, and get to where we're going and then that's man if, if only our country operated like that but i digress that's not this show um thanks again mark good luck uh team drury to all of them in the upcoming seasons current seasons i know some of the team members have already found success in in parts of uh north america and they will continue to do so so we'll look forward to those stories as as the season progresses what's going on in our world you ask (laughs) you heard us talk about conservation week guys activate your membership activate your volunteers if you're a chapter leader if you are a state chapter leader if you are a board member of those state chapters or you're a national board member and you're hearing this and 
you're excited. September 18th to the 24th. And that 24th that culminates on National Hunting and Fishing Day. We want you guys to get involved. We want you to share your stories with us socially. You can do all of that by tagging us in your posts. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Use the hashtags NWTF, hashtag Conservation Week, hashtag NWTF Conservation Week. We'll see all that. We'll try to reshare as much as we can uh, in the stories and the main feeds. Uh, weave that stuff in. Uh, with this, the content we already have coming to you. It's going to be a great week of information and, and rallying the community uh, to a, just what we what we come to know and love. And, and, and it's a great way to kick off our fall seasons uh, for mostly everybody at that point. So look forward to that. Conservation Week. Um, get folks involved there. We are kicking off, uh, we're, we're, as you're hearing this, on the launch uh, we are one day into our registration period for our fall virtual 5K. You guys know I love running. You know I love fitness. Here's another fall virtual 5K, 10K, half marathon. Walk it, run it, get your friends together. We got great swag once again, race gear. Uh, every registration comes with a membership, a finisher medal, and a personalized number bib for you to wear with pride. If you want to up that registration another 10 bucks, you can get the Kiki Run commemorative race t-shirt so that ends september 20th so we can fulfill everything have everything all your race packages to you in hand for november 1st the virtual race will take place the entirety of the month of november Uh, so you guys can go have some turkey dinners and if you're feeling tired go out and walk run the 5k around your neighborhood whatever you're doing share it with us uh, and there will be social hashtags for that i believe we're going with uh, nwtf kiki run but more to come on that uh check out the the release on facebook instagram twitter and linkedin and the registration link will be there for you as well so encourage some friends if you did it if you join us on the last one our our fall running gun and then the the turkey trot last year last fall grab a friend grab two friends and bring them with you and really, you know, I'm excited to see this this community uh, getting championed and people getting excited about it. So uh, that's available to you. Also still available to you. We talked about it in the last episode. Still three great offers available to you. If you're renewing your membership, if you're new to the NWTF and you're signing up for the first time, there is the, the Bottomland Cooler. You have the Trunk Organizer and the Hat Knife Combo. You can grab one, you can grab two, grab all three. You can gift somebody a, a membership if you want to buy it for them and then get the the chat, the, the gift. Um, those are all still available, so we encourage you guys to go there, take advantage of those, those offers while they last. I know the coolers are running low, so if you like that cooler, a lot of people did, uh, make that a priority. And they make nice stocking stuffers or Christmas gifts that are coming into the holiday season. That's it, guys. When we come to you next, we're going to be full on into Conservation Week. So hope to bring you guys some great sound for that from turkey conservation experts, uh, people within the space and our industry, and and bring you some some tips, what you can do to improve your landscape, what you can do in your neighborhood, heck, in your own yard uh, to to make things better than we found them. And ultimately, that's the goal where most of us are going out. So. With that, be safe out there, guys. We're in it. Most of us are, are full on into it, and in a couple of weeks, everyone's going to be into it uh, with the 1st of October. So be safe, shoot straight, take care of each other, love each other, wear your harnesses, all that safety stuff.
be cognizant of it. Um, don't take this stuff for granted. You want to go home safe to your loved ones. We want you guys to be safe getting home. I want you to download this podcast and share it with your friends. Share our lifestyle. Champion it. You guys are the ambassadors out there for what we do and what we love. And you do it well. Keep up the great work next time. Conservation Week. Look forward to it. Take care, guys. Signing up for that NWTF membership for the first time or renewing? The time is now, guys. We have three great offers for you. Currently, we are offering the Mossy Oak Bottomland Cooler, the NWTF Trunk Organizer. Recently, we are offering the Hat and Knife Combo. Head to our Facebook and Instagram. Check out those great offers. You can sign up through those links on those posts for the one, two, or three items you want. You can get them all if you'd like. If you're currently a member and it's not time to renew, go ahead and sign up and extend that membership. You can get the gift of your choice. Like I said, all three are a great option. They're fine pieces. Go to our socials now. Sign up, renew, extend. Thanks for your support. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Have you been to shop.nwtf.org yet? If not, pause this podcast, head there now. You're feeling inspired. You need a new hat, a new t-shirt. We got everything there. All the freshest gear for the NWTF member, the NWTF fan. We got a new collection of hats, folks. Go there, check them out now. New men's and ladies collections coming for the fall. That's shop.nwtf.org. Go there for all your lifestyle NWTF gear and more accessories, kids stuff. We got you covered going into the Going into the holiday season, shop.nwtf.org. Go there now.